acknowledging pain is very different than living in it. And having a moment of reflection and a moment of self-pity is very different. You have to just know when to cap it, know when to stop it. You know, that's different for everyone. We all have evolutions of grief. Again, I don't want to discount someone's pain, but are you living in that pain? Are you having a moment to visit it, honor it, and then say, thanks, I'm good now? You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Almost 30 started as a conversation about the transition from our 20s to our 30s. But then we realized life is full of transitions. So we expanded our mission. We are an intuition-led, wellness-focused lifestyle podcast that promises to deliver authentic conversations, diverse points of view, and insights rooted in optimism, growth, and intention. The Almost 30 Nation community is a group of purposeful dreamers who are smart, passionate, and always seeking the full potential in every aspect of their lives. At Almost 30, we're making magic together. We dream it, and then we do it. Thanks so much for tuning into the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. This is Almost 30. We're so glad you're here. How the heck did you find us? Sometimes, actually, most of the time people find us by like weird coincidence because they're going through something in their life or they're searching the iTunes or the Apple Podcasts related to that topic that's happening in their lives. And it's us. I'm so glad that you found it. I know. That was hard to follow. Hey, yeah. That's <laughs> my life. <laughs> anyway, no. I just feel like it's meant to be that y'all are here. Yeah. We've always found that, you know, whenever we meet you in person, it is those like serendipitous stories that just remind us that, oh, there's something magic. Something magic. is <laughs> something bigger than us. It's nice when the girls are always like, they share it with other people you know, which is really kind. Um, Cause so many of our guests have such medicine for y'all. And this one is one that definitely has medicine. Lots of medicine. Lots of med- it's crazy. Mm-hmm. I heard Robin, like I said in the interview, I think with um, her that I heard her on rich roll in 2015 and was like blown away. She's yeah. a badass, badass grown ass woman. Energy. Yeah. Her energy is really, I liked being around her energy. It it's one that you can't ignore you know, in a good way. Yep. And it, it, if you allow it, it could kind of like give you a little bit of that. It just shows you who you are. Yeah. It shows you, her energy shows you at what place you are in your life. I felt intimidated, a little insecure. I'm like, oh, that's a part of me that Mm -hmm. I need to identify. Mm -hmm. But if you feel good and confident with someone that has an energy like that, that's so anchored, it's like, you know, you're doing something right. Absolutely. Yeah. She's so dope. We'll get into that conversation and and just about Robin in a little bit, but we're approaching the holiday time. Mm -hmm. We always think about you guys during this time, especially because we could imagine that you're kind of feeling maybe some similar feelings that come up for us, which involve being a little bit overwhelmed, but also being really excited to near the end of the year and start a new one. And, you know, things come up around money and time and family and friends. And if you're dating someone new or you've been with someone forever, like what what do you do about holidays, gifts, spending time at their family's houses, all of that. So um, we just wanted to have a really casual conversation to jump around a few of those topics and just kind of talk it out in real time because, you know, we're always learning 
about that stuff and and feeling like, oh, I just need like to talk to my girlfriends about this because mm-hmm. I have no idea <laughs> what to do. I think so much stress happens and people don't realize it's what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I, I that was me for a long time where I didn't actually pull back and be like, okay, I feel so stressed. I feel so, I, I during the holidays, I think Christmas and, and most holidays in general, I feel very alone mm-hmm. and I feel like an outsider because my family is just different. You know, we aren't like a family unit that most people would look at and think are like a normal standard family unit. So we're kind of all over the place. We don't necessarily get together during the holidays. So I always feel just left out. I always feel like I'm the only one that doesn't have a family that gets together, that celebrates one another, that has amazing meals together, that, you know, does these great things. So it's always just like a weird time where I feel less than, mm-hmm. and there's a, it's actually like depression in a lot of ways is like me and my sister have always talked about it. You know, on Christmas day, we always feel so low because there's a weird thing too, where time stops in a lot of ways where you're put out of your comfort zone of things that normally make you feel like you're worthy, which is work, friends, um, and your normal routine in a lot of ways. And I definitely am one of those people where my routine makes me feel worthy my worthiness work also does, but that is something that makes me feel like I'm valuable. So when I'm out of that and I'm in a different environment, which is my home, which has a very different vibration in Ohio. And then I'm with people that don't really know the person that I am today. And then everything stops and you don't work. You don't do anything. You kind of sit around and watch TV and eat random food. It's like a recipe for a disaster for me. You know, we're eating like crazy food. We're eating whatever food's around. Holiday checks mix. Holiday checks. I wish it's like, everyone's trying to like read too many like cooking books in my family and they always get kind of wild. It's like a sweet potato casserole hash. It's like bizarre. And then you're just not doing anything. It's like, okay, what can we watch today? And you're watching TV all day. I don't like watching TV. I don't like sitting around eating trash and I don't like being in Ohio with people that I don't know. So I'm like, why would I, you know, I always like, I need to think about it and peel back the layers of like why I'm feeling that way. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because you're like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to necessarily be there doing those things, but then like, you know, it's a weird feeling of like, if you're not there, then it's like a guilt and should I be there? And maybe it's going to be better this time. I always think I'm like, Oh, it's going to be better this time. You know what I mean? Like same every year. I'm like, yeah, it's going to be good. Like, and listen, you know, it's things could be worse. It's just, I think the expectations kind of create this gap that you like literally fall into this abyss of like, it could have been better. What the heck? And you're like falling down, you know, everyone's wearing sweaters. Yeah. And everyone like loves each other. And so this year I'm experimenting with not going home Mm -hmm. for the first time, I think in my life, maybe. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So for the first time, I'm not going to be going home. I'm spending part of it with Justin. And then I'm going to be here in LA all my bed lonesome. Cool. Two weeks, baby. So I'm going to see how I feel, to be honest. Yeah. I feel like there's, I've, I've done it before when I was like working at Seoul and couldn't go home for holidays and stuff. And yeah, it's like, there's a little teach. hmm? You would teach. Yeah. I would teach, but like I would teach and then that was it. You know what I mean? I didn't, couldn't, yeah. I couldn't go home for Christmas because I would teach like Christmas Eve and Christmas. And, um, it was nice to see like the riders and community. It like made it, it definitely helped, but there's a hump that you got to get over. Cause there is like a, there's a sadness for sure. And it's just like, can this day just be over mm-hmm. actually? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I mean, honestly, but I also think that it's, it'll be a really cool experiment of just like, 
what does this actually mean? You know, like, and, and why we put so much meaning into that one day, you know, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious as to like what your experience will be. I'm sure it'll be amazing actually. Yeah. It'll feel knows. really good. <laughs> it's kind of nice to be in be LA. Really dark. <laughs> I'll, check, Honestly, I'll check on you. <laughs> could be dark. Could be amazing. Could be dark. I don't know. Um, I feel like be being, being in LA, like when not a lot of people are here is actually mm-hmm. one of my favorite things. I just to be honest. honestly, I, it's so funny. We're going to, we have been, you know, in Australia and Fiji and I'm just so pumped for my two weeks of like getting shit done. Oh yeah. When the offices are closed, go through every email, go through your closet, go through everything in your pantry, clean out everything, fresh start. I'm all about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, doing that before the move was so nice. Just one freaking cabinet at a time. I was like, you are my bitch right mm, now. What you like, with all the stuff? I threw a lot away. Oh yeah. I threw a lot of stuff away, which, you know, there's part of me, I donated some, but a lot of it, I was like, no, this is actually like the energy of it is actually done. So I don't even want to like burden other people with Completely. stuff. It's like a weird thing. So I, I did throw a lot away. They say that a lot about canned food drives. They're like canned food drives in theory are really amazing, but a lot of times people give expired canned goods. So it's actually a burden on the company because they can't use yeah. expired canned goods. And a lot of times they're like, we'd love to feed people more fresh foods rather than things that are in a can, you know, thinking about what would you like to eat? Mm-hmm. Fresh salad with a protein and vegetable or a can yes. of food, you know? It's a, it's an interesting concept. Yeah, that's what Lorea would talk about, about like what would she want to eat? Like she would never serve anything that that she wouldn't eat herself. But yeah, so that's going to feel really nice. And to go into the new year, just like- clean as hell, organize as hell. Ooh, on a hundred, honey. Yeah. My family is coming for Christmas and, um, they're going to, we're going to go to the desert and I'm really, I am really excited about it. But again, it's that expectation that I'm just trying to, and I did this last year. I think I talked about this last year. It was like, no expectation, no expectation. I do have an expectation, (laughs) (laughs) but all in all, I'm like, I, I I'm seeing the holidays and the new year as kind of like that, that rest period, a true rest period for us. It's the leading up that I'm having trouble with just cause we have so much going on, you know, with move and office and events and the tour and just kind of tying up loose ends that I'm, I'm, it's a good, it's a, it, what I've been really trying to do lately is get very much comfortable in that feeling of like, Oh, I'm overwhelmed. Okay. Cause normally I distract myself when I'm overwhelmed because I'm so afraid that I'm not going to get it done or that I'm not going to do it right. Or I'm going to make a mistake. So it's, I'm just upping my tolerance for it during this season. So it's going well. I love that for now. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. You're leaning into it. I'm leaning in. <laughs> leaning in. What I like to say is you're leaning into it. <laughs> Sometimes you got to just lean in yeah. and we've got, it's nice with our team, you know, with Julia yeah. Coming on. Welcome, Julia. Welcome, Julia. Freaking love her. A gem. True gem. Cat. Love her. Cat. Cat. Our intern. Killing it. Angel. Tiffany, what's up? Share it. You know, it's just Cat like- Cat did a little flex. She had two interviews. She oh, had two yeah. internships and one was at a really amazing company. <laughs> she chose almost 30. <laughs> She, she did a little flex though. She's like, I had an internship available at da, 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 da. But she was being kind. She's like, I'm so happy I chose this one. But it was like, <laughs> I know. damn. Made us, it made me feel good. I was like, damn, Same. okay. Me too. I'll be in the pot with, with that one. Mm-hmm. Got it. And yeah, I think like, how, 
you know, in terms of like you're engaged now and just like, I know, oh my God, I'm a new woman, but don't like, worry guys, your time will come <laughs> soon. That's my favorite joke actually. <laughs> Saying to everyone I know that like you're engaged, you're, I'm like, don't worry, girl, your time will come. <laughs> your time will come. I was texting Joey the other day and he's like, oh my God, congrats. I was like, don't worry, girl, your time will come. <laughs> it's only a matter of time. But like years down the road, not now, because like this year is just kind of crazy with like everything, tour, everything. But like years down the road, like, do you think about like the holiday thing with like kids and stuff? Yeah. Not to talk about I know. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't know if you have to think about that. I know. I think we'll just do our thing. Right. As we've always done. That's what I think is cool about like, you know, when you have your new family unit, it's like doing that and be cool to do like a, this is what I made my family do Thanksgiving two years ago. Yeah. We all volunteered at the, um, admission, the LA mission with my, so my whole family flew in and we all volunteered at the LA mission. And my dad said that he thought he was just dropping me off. I love him. (laughs) He was like, "Oh, what? We're oh, wait, I, I know what parking. I know a dad. I didn't know a dad reaction like that. Do you know what I mean? Yep. He's like, "Oh, I sorry. Oh, I thought I was oh, just dropping you off. Oh. And I made the whole family volunteer. <laughs> Man, that's a that's a good one. How was it? It was a blast. That's a great suggestion, everyone out there. That's a really great suggestion. Yeah. So I think I'll probably do that with my family. Do something to give back. I mean, you should be giving back mm-hmm. all year round, but you know, it seems like more opportunities present themselves." But it'd be cool to think about, I don't know if you guys have any ideas listening, but like intentional holiday times. Mm-hmm. Like how can you be more intentional about your holidays so that it feels less intensely like it has to be a certain way Yes, and just more fluid and yes. like, and with kids too, you know, if they're getting a bunch of presents, you, I don't know, you want to just make sure that they're like excited and grateful for all of them and mm-hmm. that they understand sort of what's going on, Yeah, you know? like seeing almost all sides of a holiday too. Like yep. you said, like with maybe on Christmas Eve, it's about like volunteering and, or whatever that looks like. And then Christmas day is more family centric. And then maybe the next day is an adventure. I don't know. Yeah, just like, like, like goal setting <laughs> my two year old. I'm like, <laughs> what are your goals? <laughs> I'm like, what's holding you back? <laughs> what's your soul saying to you? Sit down. <laughs> right. <laughs> Honestly, what's the trauma story going on here? He's like, I'm two. My dream would be to have like a big fucking house and just have everyone, like fire everyone in. Everyone gets a room. Say no more. You know, literally. And just no, you, you wear pajamas. That's it. You could do whatever you want. There's no schedule. Like we'll have food at certain times, but like, let's just be together. A dream. A dream. I support and love that one day. Um, but we're, you know, curious about how you're feeling this holiday season. So join the secret Facebook group. We'd love to chat with you and, you know, just support, you know, whatever you're feeling and working through. It always brings stuff up. You know, I can imagine that people lost someone in their lives this year and, and approaching any holiday after you've, you've lost someone is it, it, can send you to a place that is, is, is really low. So, you know, here to support you and talk about it, but thanks for listening to us. I don't know how helpful that was. It wasn't really tips. I just need to, I just need to talk. I know, whatever. We love you guys. We're really, really excited to welcome Robin Arzone on the pod, as we mentioned before. And yeah, she is like, She's a badass. She's a New York Times bestseller as well. She wrote Shut Up and Run, How to Get Up, Lace Up and Sweat with Swagger. And she talked, you know, a lot in this interview about a traumatic experience that she had 
and how running truly saved her life and the other ways in which she was able to, you know, reframe and rewrite that story and that certain experience. Yeah. And she's also a vice president at Peloton. Yeah. You can find her on the bike. Like I said, I rep her on Peloton all the time and I've not never taken her classes, but I feel like it would be amazing. I mean, get out of here. She's RobinRZone.com and you can find her at RobinRZone on Instagram as well. Also, she went to law school. So like- Oh yeah, she's of course. like a genius too. She's a genius. <laughs> yeah, that's what, actually a huge part of her being cool. Like yeah. Her genius. Yeah, her, she was a corporate lawyer that mm-hmm. left her job and created this crazy life that she loves. Her Instagram is um, actually RobinNYC. Yes. Perfect. All right. Enjoy this one. We love you. We'll see you on the other side. Share this with friends. Rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Come see us on tour. Join the secret Facebook group. Follow us on Instagram. We'll see you in a little bit. We love you. You've been on our list to have on the podcast for a long, like probably from the beginning. Oh, wow. Well, thank you. And it's you. always like divine timing. You know, we've we've been to New York a few times, but um, our schedules haven't aligned. So this is perfect. Mm-hmm. And we're just so grateful. Thank you. Um, Let's do it. Yeah. I'm so excited. And we thought about you because, you know, a lot of what we talk about is like transitions and kind of being in that place of having like that fire and that gut feeling of, okay, maybe the next thing is now, like maybe it's time to, to move on and, and pursue something. And I just think about your story and there's so many moments where that has happened Mm -hmm. and you've been so bold and brave as you've kind of stepped into that next chapter. But I'd love to, for people that don't know you, I'd love to kind of go back and for you to share just like kind of the early days in terms of your story that um, has really brought you here. Sure. My name is Robin Arzan. I'm Robin NYC. I am a former lawyer, reformed lawyer turned mm-hmm. ultra runner, professional badass, VP of fitness programming, a Peloton head instructor. And my journey um, did not start with athletics. I was allergic to sports as a kid. I refused to even go to gym class on some days because I was petrified of sports mm-hmm. and sweat. But um, yeah, now my life is movement and uh, I grew up in Philadelphia in a Puerto Rican and Cuban household. I've lived in New York since I was 17 and a pair of running shoes changed my life. I feel like a lot of your, you know, your journey into running was a lot related to healing and, you know, your story with the situation at gunpoint. I'd love to talk a little bit about that and how running helped you sort of transmute any fear or that tragedy that you went through. Sure. Yeah. Um, So I was held hostage at gunpoint when I was entering my senior year at NYU. Basically a man walked in where to a wine bar where I was with girlfriends and proceeded to take the bar hostage. And he said that people were going to be leaving in body bags and that everybody in there was going to die that day. And that's when I became acutely aware of narrative and agency and powerlessness. And I had to wake up the next morning and th- that year as I was processing everything and, and either choose to be a victim or the victor. And a pair of running shoes really helped me process that pain and turn it into power because mm. I believe pain becomes power ultimately. Was there a person or a situation or was it just like a moment where you like woke up? Like, did you have anything that inspired you to kind of get in out of victim mentality or was it just your ability to kind of connect deep within and tap into your, to yourself to find that answer? You know, I guess it's both. Um, you know, I was in law school and I was kind of dealing with the stresses of that mm. and needed, I thought it was just 
garden variety stress. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of unpacked that a little more and realized that it was trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, But getting out of a victimhood mentality is actually pretty simple. Not that the trauma is simple, not to diminish anybody's pain, but like we're lucky to be alive and nobody owes you shit. Mm. And honestly, like people live in laden with excuses and it, and it buries them. And I see it all the time. And it's not about comparing my hurt to your hurt or somebody else's tragedy to another person's tragedy. Like it all is painful but the world doesn't owe you anything. So just get up and make the most out of it. And, and it might seem a little bit harsh, but life is harsh and we're lucky to be here. And I just, I refused to live in that place where I was asking why me, Mm. I, I find it so much more, so much more powerful. Instead of saying, why me? You can say, try me. Mm. So I live my days in that transition. Mm. Mm. I'm curious, like what, the physicality of running, how you felt that was able to release, you know, parts of the trauma or release any stress, anxiety, tension in your body. Like what, you know, not having a deep understanding of the physical body yet at that Mm -hmm. point in your life. Like what did you notice happening and how were you able to stick with it? Because I think some people like find, you know, like, taking, we took a class where it was like a big emotional release the other day. And I was like, this is like, this is work. This like, I have to really, you know, kind of psych myself up to go. Cause it is that physical, but also emotional. So like, what about it kept you coming back every day or every other day? Well, the, you know, th- that was a, a discovery for me. I didn't know that pushing and pulling your own body weight in the universe was so powerful. And I actually think it's one of the most powerful things a woman can, can realize and discover about herself Um, or any, any human. But I, I kept lacing up because I found that there were just things that were like in the recesses of my brain that would pop up on a run. And, you know, now in, in the research I've done since becoming an ultra marathoner, you know, there are, there are literally physiological and chemical reactions that happen when you're running. So that endorphin release, the adrenaline, but also it activates different areas of your brain and different areas of memory and, and thought processes. Like now when I listen to podcasts, when I run or I can literally remember the corner that I was that I was running along when I listened to a certain piece of a podcast. Like it's crazy how the recesses of my brain now have adapted to that kind of memory retention and then memory release. So for me, it was kind of just allowing all of that stuff to come up and then like running with it for a little bit and just being out there on the road and having nowhere else to go. And that actually was in the moment, you know, it was kind of horrifying some days, but it ended up becoming my launching pad. So I was kind of able to clean house internally and then um, keep moving forward. That's the beauty of the run. That's the beauty of using movement as catharsis because like you're never really stuck in that place. Like, you know, a lot of people discover this like on the yoga mat or, you know, um, in a spin class that, you know, emotional moments and you might be physically like, you know, clipped into a bike, but you're not actually, you're not actually stuck. Mm-hmm. We can always think another thought. It's almost like the holding space for yourself and, 
you know, it's really beautiful too, especially with your runs. Like you have the feeling, the thought or the emotion that can trigger something. And then it's almost like with meditation where you're kind of identifying that, but you still keep moving. You know, you still keep running, you still keep going forward. And it's really beautiful too, you know, with your story and what seems like it's happening now, like the connections that you've made with trauma and with therapy and with our ability to connect now our body, mind and physical, our body, emotional and physical body is that people are now tapping into like the importance of the body in the whole story. And especially as it relates to trauma, you know, we did a really intense trauma work shop a few weeks ago and you know, the therapy part was really beautiful, but the full body connection where we incorporated parts of our body to move things through because the body keeps the score, Mm -hmm. you know, your body keeps everything in was like a really, really special thing and really felt like it completed the entire cycle for me Mm. where therapy is really beautiful, but it doesn't feel complete sometimes because it feels like there's something still in the air. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's in, it's in your physical body. I mean, yeah. it's in your bones, it's in your hips. It's in, I mean, there, it's just, I actually found like there were even my diaphragm and that period of my life, like my diaphragm mm-hmm. would, tr- would be like triggered oh, and, it, and it would be like this center right in my solar plexus in between my rib cage. And I'm like, what the heck is that? And it definitely wasn't core work. You know what I mean? Yeah. It definitely wasn't like planks. <laughs> it was just my body being like, you're not okay. Mm. So, um, you know, listening to that was a really transformative and pivotal, pivotal moment in my life. And then I realized, oh, I can just keep doing this and unearthing and unpacking more physical strength with, which always lends itself to more, um, strength in mind and spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Did you tap into community too? Or was it like you did this kind of healing on your own, And then, or did you have anyone in your close family or relationships that you were kind of also leaning on to as part of your healing process? Yeah. I mean, I'm really close with my family and they have always been my safety net, Mm. but it wasn't even, I would say the running community is what really allowed me to like grow some wings because I realized, oh wow, there are other folks doing this just like me. And there are ways to kind of approach racing and running that are unconventional. Mm-hmm. So I started running with the New York City Bridge Runners. It's mm-hmm. the OG New York run crew. And there's kind of this whole movement around run crews now. And it really started with the New York City Bridge Runners um, over 10 years ago, probably 15 years ago. So that... Um, that, that they were, they were my people and they were very unconventional. It was like DJs running with fashion designers, running with lawyers like myself. And it was, it was uncomplicated and I really needed that. Uh, I, enc- I always encourage folks like, yes, like the, the community is the linchpin to a lot of these people, a lot of our journeys, especially going into wellness and fitness. And if you haven't found your people, just keep looking because it does exist. Mm. What, what part of you brought you to studying law? at that time? My father was a lawyer and I, he was also a law professor when I was a child. And I just was enchanted with the idea of being able to use the written word as a weapon or as protection. Mm -hmm. And I still consider myself a wordsmith Mm -hmm. and that kind of oral advocacy and using the written word in a way to build people up was very, very powerful for me. Mm. And was it normal within your community where you were in Philly to like grow up, be a lawyer, move to NYU? Like your life is so beautiful and unconventional. Were you doing the same thing as everyone that you grew up around was? You know, I grew up 
So yes and no. So Mm -hmm. my parents created themselves completely. My mother is a Cuban Mm -hmm. refugee. My father was born in Puerto Rico and grew up in the Bronx. They didn't have anything in the United States. Mm-hmm. My, um, you know, my mother tells stories of needing to go to the Salvation Army when she landed here in a very cold, dreary January from, from Cuba and needing to wear a, you know, winter coat three sizes too small and having the church that they were members of, my family was mem- were members of, you know, raise money in dimes and nickels to give, to give them scholarships to go to their local school. Yeah. So I saw that, that sense of agency from my parents from a really young age. And I believe that we are always both honoring and, and co-creating our legacies. So I think about that all the time. I think about where I've come from. And that's an all, another reason why I don't believe the world owes you anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and Because I've seen, I've witnessed my parents create themselves. And so there was, there was that aspect of it. And then, you know, my father went to law school. My mother is a, is a physician and they really did that on their own. And in, wow. in the sixties, when there was a lot of discrimination against yeah. Cuban and Puerto Ricans. So, I mean, it still persists, but back then it was particularly pervasive. So that was my story. Like that always preceded my own story. Mm. And then uh, we, I grew up in an area outside of Philadelphia where I was surrounded by, you know, wealthy folks. And that also became an example of like, why not me? Mm-hmm. So I was very, very fortunate in that I had examples of greatness, not necessarily, not necessarily folks who looked or acted like me, mm-hmm. not necessarily Latinas in the workplace, but um, thankfully I had my parents for that. Mm-hmm. That is amazing. That is yeah. amazing. Did you have siblings as well? Yeah. Like, was my it? little sister is equally, equally badass. Mm-hmm. She has her MBA sure. and um, also really saw the examples of greatness and has created her own path mm-hmm. and has traveled the world and moved to India for a few years when we all thought that was a wild exhibition. And and I think my parents have always trusted our judgment and they have raised queens. Mm. And you went to India and then when you came back, you got diagnosed with type one diabetes. Yeah. We were actually visiting my sister in India when I was, when I was uh, diagnosed with type one, came back from that trip. And I was just like having extreme thirst, extreme fatigue. None of it made sense. And I was already running ultra marathons at the time. Uh, It was really perplexing, but thankfully my mother as a physician was like, you know what, just get blood work. Thankfully I I, I avoided hospital. Hospitalization, which a lot of type ones end up, um, that's where they discover they discover the diagnosis. So we, I went to an endocrinologist, got blood work, and she said, "You have type one diabetes. That means my pancreas produces little to no insulin. My beta cells aren't really kicking in my pancreas." And my first question to her was, how can I continue to run ultra marathons? And she was trying to show me like a diagram of the nutrition facts for like in eight ounces of milk. I was like. Ma'am. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I might have been a little bit more intentional in my statement than that. I was like, I was like, this just became a critical moment where I was like, you have to be able to redirect the conversation to your own North Star. Mm-hmm. Like your agenda does not need to be explained. And I had to sit there in that doctor's office to a very well-meaning physician and be like, that's not the conversation we're having. Mm-hmm. This is the conversation we're having. Mm-hmm. And I hear it from folks all the time, whether it has to do with medical care or being your own advocate in other ways, you have to be able to understand what matters to you and have a sense of where you want to direct your ship because there are always going to be other people's agendas trying to intercede and get in the way. And that was a very critical time where I had to really advocate for my own care. And still I kind of am a walking science experiment. Like there are most, most doctors in the type one community have never dealt with 
an ultra marathoner or somebody who works out three to four hours a day, vegan athlete. So there are, there are a lot of ways that, that my care requires nuance and I have to continue being my own best advocate in that regard. Mm. Wow. Do you ever have moments? Did you have a moment when you were diagnosed or have moments now where you just are like low, you know, you, to me, like come off so strong and positive and very focused. And I know you are, but like, I also can imagine that you have really human moments of just being like, whoa. Yeah. Know, I mean, it happens all the time. You know, I can't even tell you how many moments I'm literally minutes from teaching to, you know, ultimately when one, I don't know, a Peloton mm-hmm. class, 20 to 30 to 50 to a hundred thousand people minutes away from showtime. And I'm like, God, I'm going low right now. Mm-hmm. Like what, you know, so there are, it, it's a very, very much for me, a, um, a hidden struggle. We all have hidden struggles. I do have, I mean, if it's frustrating every day, like I rarely sleep through the night because I have, uh, you know, type one, um, devices going off. Mm-hmm. I, literally need to always have some form of sugar on me. You know, there, there is a dependency that I kind of need to other, to technology and other things that I've just had to come to accept in order to go about my days. But you don't have to live in those moments. I think self-pity is one of the most disgusting attributes. I mean, truly like Mm. acknowledging pain is very different than living in it Mm. and having a moment of reflection and a moment of self-pity is very different. You have to just know when to cap it, know when to stop it. You know, that's different for everyone. We all have evolutions of grief. Again, I don't want to discount someone's pain, but are you living in that pain? Are you having a moment to visit it, honor it, and then say, thanks, I'm good now. Mm. Yeah. What was your spiritual journey? Because it seems like, you know, with being a lawyer and then going into this space where you had this traumatic thing happen to you and then you're running and then you're diagnosed after you were running. Mm -hmm. What was like your spiritual path as it relates to all of these situations and circumstances? It feels like running was such a spiritual gateway for you. It was. Yeah, I do. I do see running as a spiritual experience. I see movement as a spiritual experience. I am religious. I'm Jewish. I have a very, I have a very, um, tied in relationship to what people call source or spirit or the universe or energy. For me, it's all the same because it doesn't come from a dogmatic place. Mm. It comes from a place of knowing that there's something bigger and honoring that. I also, for me, tie a lot of my thoughts about legacy into spirit because I think that there are a lot of things that have come before us that kind of literally create a foundation, like an energetic foundation for how we, where we step and where we go. And that was really a lot of searching in my twenties. And it was some medit, some, you know, I started a Vedic, Vedic meditation practice in my twenties. I started doing a lot of reading. And even in my NYU days, when I was a student at Gallatin, I was just curious, you know, and mm-hmm. I fed that curiosity and mm-hmm. I knew I was going to be going to law school. So I allowed myself, you know, my, one of the, the best advice, one of the best pieces of advice my father ever gave me before I was going to law school was law school is going to teach you how to be a lawyer and not even enough. You're going to learn how to be a lawyer mm-hmm. by being a lawyer. So just study what you find riveting because there's only so much you can prepare before you're just doing the damn thing. Mm -hmm. And that was really freeing. So, you know, my days at NYU were really just this incredible intellectual exploration. And a lot of that was spiritual, but you don't have a, you know, you don't survive 
being held at gunpoint with one gun, with a gun to your right temple and a barbecue lighter to your left and not have a curiosity as to why you exist. Mm. Yeah, I think about that every day and I'm really grateful. I know that I'm here for a reason. I don't believe that there are accidents. It's a beautiful, beautiful thirst uh, for quenching that curiosity that I exist. Mm. Yeah, it is like just thinking about that moment, it like as scary and fucked up and crazy as it was, it's like... Um, you know, a gift that a lot of people will never experience knowing like the value of just being alive. Mm-hmm. It's really, really powerful. So what was that turning point? So you're pursuing law and then, you know, what was the point at which you pivoted? I don't know that trajectory um, about, your, you know, as it relates to your story and, and pivoted into more of a fitness focused mm. career. Well, I was running for my entire, my entire law career. Mm-hmm. Um, I practiced for seven years at a, at a law firm in New York city, Paul Hastings. And I also did my summer associate summer there. I was running that entire time, but my intensity and my appetite for running really grew and intensified as I was a lawyer. And I really, they were kind of in parallel tracks, but um, I was kind of at a pivot point at my law firm where I either was going to throw my name in from, you know, senior leadership and partnership and all these ambitious things that folks do when they're in the associate track, or I was going to figure out how to monetize movement. It was a two-year slow process. My law firm was was patient enough to give me a leave of absence, an unpaid leave of absence for a few months. So I kind of started to understand like, what would it be like when you have no income coming in? What do your finances need to look like? What are you even going to do every day? So that was a, um, a beautiful exploration. And then it was two weeks before the London Olympics. And I just had the impulse to go to the London games and report for my Tumblr, the Tumblr that later became the name of my book. My Tumblr was shut up and run. And my book is, is also named that. And they, the law firm was like, listen, you can stay or you can go, but we love you, but this isn't like an extended <laughs> vacation. Uh, so, you know, I had to, I had like to, two more months. Yeah. Please. I was like, two more They're months. They're looking at your Instagram. You're like, whoa. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, that was my, that was the final straw. I decided to leave the law firm and I, per, I purchased a, a plane ticket to London that cost way more than my rent. Cause it was so close to the date of the flight. And it was it was so scary because I was like, okay, this is it. Like you're going here completely unknown. And it was at the games that, you know, some of the folks, it's amazing. Like some of the folks that who I interviewed at the games are now friends of mine, you know, mm-hmm. like, like Kara Goucher is an Olympic runner. She was racing in London and like, I was holding a cracked iPhone just to get a, a blurb from her, mm-hmm. you know, for my Tumblr. And now I'm, you know, a contributor to her book. And she, I definitely consider her, you know, one of, one of the folks who I both admire and then also co-create with. Mm -hmm. So it is possible to kind of, for the people you admire to become your posse. Mm -hmm. And um, that was, that was really just me trying to work within the existing paradigm of journalism and see how I could incorporate myself into that. But I realized in that year after leaving law, I, I left London with a job at an agency. So basically somebody from the agency who was working with uh, Nike as a client noticed me and I arrived in London with no job, left London two weeks later with a job working on the agency side for Nike women. So they were my client. I didn't actually work for the company. And I thought this was my dream job, you know, storytelling and working on social media for one of the biggest brands in the world. And then I realized really quickly that 
I didn't want to be telling somebody else's story. I didn't want to be giving a brand my ideas and then hiding behind a swoosh. I wanted to co-create. I wanted to be shoulder to shoulder with these people who I admire and respect. And so that, then I left that job. And that was that second departure was scarier than the first. Cause it's like, wait, I thought that was what I wanted. And I realized I actually don't even know still. So that, that persistent um, curiosity and longing um, was really scary because there were months that I didn't have a single check coming in, not for $5, not for a dollar. And I was living completely on my savings, which I knew had a clock to it. So that's when I started coaching a lot of clients, running clients, running marathons, running ultra marathons, and just really giving all of my energy to social media. Mm-hmm. And then then I called and then brands were knocking on my door saying, Hey, would you like to be either in this campaign or behind the scenes in this marketing campaign? Can we pick your brain? And let me tell you, pick your brain is bullshit. Don't let people do that. Put a price tag on that. Instead of saying that, like put a price tag. And then I said, sure, you could pick my brain, but I'm a consultant and this is my hourly fee. And I just made it up because I knew that my ideas had value. I'm like, there's no reason why I should just sit in this meeting with this really well, this really, really well-known brand Mm. and give them all the ideas that they're going to then use for their fall campaign. That's not going to happen. And a lot of folks said no. And I was unknown at the time. It definitely was a bold move. I'm not saying that internships and things, you know, kind of quote unquote free work doesn't have value, especially if you're getting experience in networking. But at the time I needed to pay bills and it wasn't going to be with a free pair of shoes. So that was, that, that was a pivot point for me because I kind of created this consultancy that ended up becoming my brand and, yeah. and that, that become became respected because there's scarcity value there. It's funny. Cause it's like, it's you, it, I would have been in a scarcity mindset. I'd be like, okay, no money's coming in. I've got to do these things. I got to get these opportunities with hope that they would pay me eventually. But it's like, you flipped that mm-hmm. and you were like, no, I actually need money and this is worthwhile. So I'm going to do it this way. I had to. And, and it, it probably, t- it might've taken longer. Like yeah. in, 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 you know, that, that probably took longer to kind of get my druthers and get people to pay attention rather than maybe doing it the other way and getting some kind of entry level position mm-hmm. at, I don't know, another agency or working with one of the brands on set or something like that. But I could never see you. You know what? Like I don't really rock that way. You know, I, I mean, know. I've been, I've been working I since like, I was 13. It's not, it's, so it's definitely not a, I, I'm, they don't shy from hard work, but mm-hmm. I'm like, not in anybody's shadow. Let's just say that. Yeah. And you, you teach people how to treat you. You know, that's a part yeah. of you. Esta- you established the standard. Exactly. So like asking for money and saying, no, this is my rate and this is what I do, you know, like makes me feel a certain way. Like, oh, correct. Cool. Especially you know when you I mean? have substance to offer. Exactly. Like if you didn't, exactly. there were, there were other things that I just didn't know. Right. So for example, when I was, when I wanted to start teaching spin, I didn't know, literally didn't know how to do that. So I wasn't walking up to a studio, like this is my rate, totally. you know, so there's a yeah. way to, there's, there, you know, you have to know when to flex and what, and mm. what your actual, actual leverage is in the, in the consultancy regard, in the social media capacity, mm. I knew that I had storytelling and a burgeoning brand, but in the actual practical skills yeah. of, of spin, I just went to a local studio in union square and I was like, please teach me how to do this. I don't know how to do this. And I don't even remember if it was paid in the beginning. I think I just sat there on the floor, like being like by osmosis, teach me how to do this shit. Yeah. So you have to know when, to, and you have, you have to be smart about it. But if you have, if you have something of value that you can leverage, don't give it away unless there is going to be some kind of net effect from that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's the damn truth. It's like with spinning, you didn't know anything you said. And then with the brand stuff, it's like you worked for Nike. You were in the space. You had your Tumblr. You kind of were doing this for a long time. You understood, even from a law point, like the languaging of it, the wording of it, like the storytelling aspect of it and the importance of it. So I think we see that so often with people. It's like, and I've done this myself where not understanding when it's like, I need to just shut up and like, take it and just like go to the spend class, ask them to take, teach me. And then when you're like, all right, you know, you need to charge. I think that's like such a interesting thing that I think needs to be noted with people, especially in this industry when it's, there's a bunch of creatives, there's a bunch of people that are entrepreneurs doing their thing and understanding when you can charge or have people pay and when you kind of just need to learn for a while. Right. Yeah, definitely. So what was the the point at which that you became interested in spin? So I was you know, I, I did spin even when I was a lawyer, that kind of was the natural complement to all of the running and the strength training that I was doing. Mm-hmm. And I really did it to fill my days because I was pitching all these magazines and all these traditional media outlets. And they were like, who are you? Uh, no, thanks. <laughs> so I actually had a, just time on my hands and I was like, well, I love this thing. I might as well just learn how to do this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I actually got my spin certification when I was still a lawyer. And it wasn't until years later that I actually tried to attempted to teach. And thankfully the studio in Union Square, this woman, Christiane Phillips, really took me under her wing. And um, she's a chef now. I don't even think she's in fitness, but she was so incredibly patient. And I remember... It's unbelievable now because I really see this as my craft. And, you know, at Peloton, we are like conductors of an orchestra Mm -hmm, up there. mm -hmm. And it really is an art form that I'm proud of. And I'm so proud of our team. But when I started doing this, like I couldn't even like... I couldn't even know like the cadence of a beat. Like I didn't even know pedal strokes. Like I just, did, there was no art to it. It was completely clunky. And I would go home just crying, thinking like saying to myself, how did you pass the bar exam? And you can't like teach a 20 minute spin mm-hmm. class. Like what is wrong with you? And then finally I started just doing it and doing it. And it's Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours. Like I taught multiple classes, multiple classes to one person in that room. One. And he or she would show up and it'd be like the 8 p.m. class that nobody wanted to teach. And I was just like, here, we're going to do this. I'm going to give you my everything. Mm -hmm. And it's from that that I carved out excellence. Yeah, you realize what's really important in a in a space like that. Um, I want to talk how how you create space, but it is like that one-on-one connection that is, I think, now what people... They love the community aspect of being in a group fitness class, but you know, when you are able to see people and really um, tap into their needs and maybe even their doubts and insecurities and like lift them from that and Mm -hmm. let them sit there. Like, I think that connection, um, that power is so important in a space like that. So how do you, how have you been able to just refine the way that you create space? It's interesting at Peloton. We are a connected fitness company. Um, our hardware is our, we have hardware in terms of a bike and a tread, a treadmill. And we also have our Peloton digital, which is our digital complement, including yoga and meditation and strength programming. And that is that connected fitness experience requires that intimacy. It requires the instructor and the music mm-hmm. and, and the beautiful softwares all come together you know, with the leaderboard, with the high fives that you're getting, like from your crew, you know, who joined that, that class live or on demand, that, that the secret sauce of all of it is when it comes together and it creates this powerful moment when you're outside of your body. Mm. And, um, 
I have seen, I see lives changed every day, thousands of times a week. Like that is no exaggeration. Every single Peloton instructor has thousands of messages every single week. And the, the, the drumbeat of what we're doing is getting louder. Wow. And with that comes a lot of excitement, but it also comes responsibility. So I will say in class, like I, and I'll extend my hands and literally say like, I am holding this container for you. Like we have 30 minutes together. I will hold the weight of whatever you want to leave on this bike. I'm strong enough. So let's just do this. Mm. And that, that, that requires, you know, kind of caring for myself and my energy when I'm off the bike and I'm off the tread and I'm off, you know, I don't have dumbbells in my hand so I can come up on that stage and show up really fully because there's a reason why we don't just hire beautiful Hollywood actors or actresses or models, you know, from a top Hollywood agency. Mm. Our instructors are as beautiful in my opinion, but, but there has to be an honest why and an honest reason why we do this because you can fake one or two classes. You can hide behind the dark light, you know, the darkness of maybe a a 60 person boutique studio. You cannot hide over thousands of hours in front of thousands of people who you are and the authenticity of why you do something on our platform at Peloton. Mm -hmm. And that's why we find the right folks who have an honest reason to do this and an honest desire to um, change people's lives in the way that they view fitness. And everybody kind of has their own different approach. And I'm really proud of of the team we've created. Yeah, it's really incredible. It's really incredible. Damn, that's so true about and, hiding. That's so mm-hmm. true, to be honest. Totally. I've never thought about it like that. It's funny. Whenever we have friends that have Peloton machines, I'm always like, do you guys do Robin? They're like, yeah. I'm like, she's the best, huh? <laughs> I'm literally, literally never done her class on Peloton. I'm like, she's the best, isn't she? Well, everybody, I, I, look, I rep it so hard. They, they, uh, thank you for repping. <laughs> oh, you know, these. it's like kind of like, I really like it too. I think we're like a team of superheroes and every instructor has their own like, superhero skill yeah so it kind of is like what vibe are you going for that day what musical styling what you know it really even i do it when i'm gonna hop on the bike i'm like what do i what mood am i in you know and you just kind of go and that's the beauty of the the diversity of what we created yeah do you ever feel like you know thousands of people out there you know taking your class do you ever feel that energy and need to you mentioned kind of needing to take care of yourself outside of class so like what does that look like and Um, feel like you know, there is, I, you know, I, I don't, I've never had an issue with public speaking. I think it is because of my law background. I've kind of honed that craft. Mm. So that was never a concern. I mean, I'm always prepared. I think mm-hmm. like, That's you know, I, it's like, I know my, I know my shit, you yeah. know? So there's a, and I know how to do this. I've, I've really put in thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of hours doing this, right? So it's just like any other craft, any other job. There are moments definitely when you're like, oh, wow, the stakes just got a little higher today. But what else, what were you preparing for? Yeah. Were you preparing for like to shrink and grow smaller and level down? No, we level up. So I find a, a real excitement in that. Yeah. Um, and at, it's, it's interesting, like as the numbers on the leaderboard grow, like as all the, any other kind of metric you might have, social media, whatever, as those numbers grow, so does the responsibility then so does the preparedness and then everything else. It's like with the preparedness comes my self-care. With my self-care comes my energy preservation. With my energy preservation comes sleep. So there is this domino effect that all comes from the responsibility of showing up in a way that honors 
the people who are showing up to you. So there is an interesting performative aspect to what we do. Cause obviously it is for, you know, mm-hmm. over 1.4 million people. It's much more like a media company or a network that has fitness content, but it's not about, it's always about them. It's always about the members. And I think that that shift is incredibly important because there is a performative aspect in that you want people to be entertained and have fun, but it's not like the so-and-so jazz hands show, right? Mm -hmm. It's like when it's rooted in the member's experience, magic happens. And I see it every day. So energy preservation, what does that mean for you? Like, does that mean quiet time or no electronics? What does that mean? You know, I, um, Amy Schumer on... In an, inter- in an interview with Oprah. Such a good mm-hmm. one. Such a good one. Um, God, I love Amy. So she she mentioned, and she and Oprah, uh, you know, agreed and aligned on that they're introverts with like extroverted jobs, right? And they have moments that where they need to tap into that performative piece, but they get their energy in a quiet, solitary way. And that is, that is who I am. Mm-hmm. And it took a long time to realize that because people would be like, what, but you're so like yeah. big and my personality is big, but where I get my energy from is quiet and, and, mm. and silent. And thankfully, even my husband understands like I'll come home and I'm just fully like to the bone can barely speak tired most days. And so I need that moment where I'll like go take a bath. I'll like go listen to a podcast that is completely different than however I've mm-hmm. spent my day and, or read a book and just have that moment of like 20 minutes. Then I'll like sit on the couch, eat dinner, engage, mm. but I need that buffer. Yeah. And, um, that's the process that works well for me. Um, you know, I know my friend Ali love is, is gets energy from, the party from mm-hmm. the crowd and whereas I'm expending energy. Mm-hmm. So it's starting to understand like where, where are you, what are you doing and who are you with when you're feeling the most alive? And then what are you doing and who are you with or not when you're feeling like you're recharging? Mm-hmm. And I st- do feel most alive when I'm, you know, on stage at Peloton, when I'm in the thick of a workout, when I'm in an amazing run, but I know that that's not actually how I recharge. That's just a moment of joy. Mm-hmm. There's a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. How do you, and I don't know if you feel balanced in terms of like your personal life, your relationship with your husband and your relationship with, you know, your clients and with Peloton and just your responsibilities and passions. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you have balance. We don't really feel balanced all the time. Um, (laughs) You know, I have an unpopular opinion on balance. I don't think that we have balance. Mm -hmm. I don't think that that's actually something necessarily to strive for when you have specific goals. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, will I have a different opinion when I have children one day? I'm sure. But then the balance for me, I will have different priorities. So you have to make a choice. There are only 24 hours in the day. Like I don't, I think that there's this illusion that there's going to be this optimal, you know, you check in for these X amount of hours and then you're off and then your business just does what? Like, so I think that you do have to prioritize how you want to spend your days and what is meaningful to you. My husband is equally ambitious. Um, he works in finance in the family office space and, and in impact investing and his hustle is equally dedicated as equally as dedicated as mine. Thankfully we have unconventional schedules where we might even be, we'll meet up for lunch for an hour on a Wednesday, or, you know, he might leave a little bit later for work for a meeting and we'll have breakfast together. So we have, our schedules actually uh, together m- create enough balance for us to feel like we we have our synergy and we have our our, our home. But 
there's no real balance. Like the, hu- yeah. like the hustler's oath is by any means necessary. And folks talk about balance, but really I think they should be talking about purpose. Mm. How would you suggest someone goes about finding purpose? You know, purpose for me is, is oxygen. People talk about purpose versus motivation. Motivation is like a vitamin. Motivation is like, yeah. you know, I took my B12 today. You'll survive without it. Purpose is oxygen. Like you cannot survive without it. And for me, I, I, I fear mediocrity. Like my purpose is to live a life that is epic. And, you know, I want to make my parents proud. I want to create a legacy. I started thinking about legacy creation when I was 21 years old. Like I have a hunger to create greatness. I the, like, I don't even like, it gets me out of bed. Like dreams get me out of bed. Like I don't need an alarm clock dreams get me out of bed. And in terms of finding that purpose, I think people have to really sometimes get a little quiet and think about the moments in their day that they're most proud. I think they need to think about what they do every day and why that's important. And it has to be more than a paycheck. Um, You know, what do you stand for? What do you believe in? What are the most important moments of your day? Who are you with and what are you doing when you feel the most excited, proud, joyful, happy, energetic? Um, Those are not an accident. And, you know, our hobbies, I don't think are are necessarily there just to be a playtime. Sometimes, oftentimes, I think our hobbies are the little whispers of passion saying like, let me out. Mm-hmm. Um, not that everybody's going to go take a cooking class and then become, you know, an iron chef, but how can you then create those moments of purpose in your day? And I don't think that our work necessarily needs to be our purpose. I think work can be a means to an end and then you have purpose in other ways. I know folks feel that way about their families. Like their purpose is to be a mother, a father, a caretaker. Amazing. That might not necessarily pay your bills every day, but it's a means to an end. And so, you know, I say, if it does not raise my energetic vibration or my bank account, the answer is no. People need to start stop saying yes to things that they hate. Uh, it's easier said than done, but you know what? Practice. No is a complete sentence and it's actually my favorite sentence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of our friends in an interview we did recently was talking about how depression is the opposite of having purpose. And I'm mm. thinking a lot about that, you know, in terms of like, um, people that I know who struggle with depression, even like yeah. just us personally, like when we have those days where we're yeah. like really low and I'm like, I have been thinking more about like, what is my purpose today? It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be this like big life Correct. purpose. It can be, you know, even like my brother helped me change the battery in my car the other day and he, you know, he struggles, um, with depression and his mood was like, he yeah. was like on fire. And I was like, oh, that's purpose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it can be those little moments where like, you know, you just, it's connection. It's like feeling, it is feeling useful is the wrong word, but that's kind of what's coming to my mind. Yeah. Like it's just feeling a part of something bigger. For sure. You know? So um, that's a really, that's really powerful. They did do that study recently, whereas they found that people don't want to be happy. They want to have purpose. You know, it was for so long. We're like, I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. But that's not really the true intention behind what brings us like a resounding joy. It's having purpose in life. And I think, yeah, when I was most, when I've had my darkest times, it was before I found purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, even like I'm a big Tony Robbins fan and he talks about, you know, really trying to get folks not to a level of success, Mm -hmm. but but a level of fulfilled success because getting to that level of achievement, but feeling unfulfilled, you know, as he, as he describes is, is, is one of the biggest, you know, yeah. fears. Yeah. 
And it's like your Nike thing. Yeah. It, it really, it's, it's amazing to feel like you've reached the mountaintop and then not being able to appreciate the view. My meme. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I know that people are often, we're all searchers, right? Like there are exit. I mean, everything is just a mixtape. Like all the things we're talking about right now is literally just a remix of the stuff that like the oral bards and Socrates and all these other homies were talking about thousands and thousands of years ago. And it's that existential, you know, pondering of why am I here is a, is the big question. But when you look at your days as just like the next small victory, the next small choice, the next best choice, it really helps to unpack it because if our legacies are this big grand thing, it really is just a bunch of small decisions that we make every day. So the next smart choice, the next fulfilling choice, the next choice that in, that in nourishes your community, which ultimately will nourish you is the best choice. And I, and perspective is also a big one. A lot of folks, you know, talk about gratitude and gratitude journals and all that, and I'm here for it. But sometimes the simplest way to bring yourself back into that grateful place is to ask yourself, what is it that I'm experiencing now that I used to pray for? Mm-hmm. And that actually brings me back always because it's like the little annoyance of my Uber is late or I'm rushing to a meeting or I feel like my schedule's too packed. I'm like, I used to pray. I used to pray for a meeting, mm-hmm. one meeting, just mm-hmm. one. Yeah. So on the days when I'm literally, you know, running for 14, 16, 18 hours, I'm like you, you, you didn't just pray for this. You worked for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So don't complain now because yeah. mm-hmm. when you get for what you asked for, you have no business complaining. Mm-hmm. So that, 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 that gratitude thing also, I think, is helpful yeah. because it could really always be worse. That is the truth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whenever I think about that, like when I'm in a situation that I've prayed for and I'm like, oh, my mind isn't right. You know, if I'm not being grateful, if I'm not being in the moment, if I'm thinking about the smaller annoyances, I'm like, oh, my mind, it's my mind's not right because I'm getting whatever I worked for, whatever I asked for. But that's my issue, not the universe, not source, not my community, if I'm not able to receive that or to really be there. Right. And if that's something that's consistent and pervasive, yep. then that's when you need to pivot. Yep. Right. So it's like, so yeah, if, for if you're years into a job and every day you're like, this is the worst thing in the world, maybe it's not right for you. You know, then you have to yeah. pivot, but you are always in control of that narrative. Yeah. Um, and we always have so much more agency when we, this is another thing about the, the victimhood mentality and the complaining mentality. You give away so much of your power when you make it somebody else's problem, even if they're wrong, even if objectively speaking, nine, t- nine people out of 10 would say, yeah, that you're you're justified in that feeling. <laughs> what does that do? What is, how does that serve you? You're giving away so much power, like literally like dollars at a strip club, like giving away your power when you're complaining and allowing other people's actions to disable you. Mm. Amen. Last question for me, as a woman of color and wellness, health, fitness, wellness. I, I'd love to know just kind of like your experience. And, you know, we are in the space on the podcast side and it's been interesting in LA. You know, we're two white girls hosting a podcast, right? And Surprise. and we are very privileged um, in a lot of ways. And we've also been kind of, we've observed the health and wellness world. You know, it does feel in a lot of ways, like a a privileged place. Mm. 
So I'd love to just kind of dig into that. Like, you know, I don't know if you feel responsibility or I don't know. I just love to hear your thoughts. It, it has come from wellness has come from a privileged place. Mm -hmm. I mean, the reality is it is a privilege to sit there and think, how do I look today? How do I feel today? Like Mm -hmm. people really, really in the depths of just existing do not have the privilege of thinking, do I, do I have my rose quartz uh, face roller today? Like, of course that comes from a place of privilege, but wellness is a right. Mm -hmm. And that for me, a pair of running shoes was the great democratizing factor for me because I was running with people who didn't have means at all. And we were all just equal out there running like at nine o'clock at night on a Wednesday with the bridge runners, with, with folks who were just like, I'm going to put on these pair of running shoes and I am just like you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do like seeing boutique fitness m- becoming more common. You know, there is, there is a price of entry, but that's what actually what I really love about Peloton digital is it, that does put, put wellness in somebody's pocket. And that, you know, you can lace up, you can meditate, you can take a yoga class with our team. And that at least is one entry point Mm -hmm. that is not the same at the price of a bike or a tread, which yes, requires much more means. And in terms of like people, you know, representation and people of color in the wellness industry, I'm seeing it so much. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing it so much. And thankfully that's the beauty of platforms like Instagram Mm -hmm. is that you can find people doing the thing who look like you. And the, having the conversation also really matters. Pointing out where there still isn't enough diversity. And uh, and as far as I'm concerned, it's never enough because it's not like you're going to find one Latina or one Puerto Rican who has the same opinion as somebody else, right? Or the same point of view or visual perspective or musical styling. So there's so much diversity, even within the diversity, that it's always going to be an evolution, but we're definitely better than we were 10 or 20 years ago. And we're just going to keep getting better because we're keep, we're continuing to have these conversations. Yeah. Yeah, it's been really, it's really beautiful to see. Um, I want to talk about quickly the veganism. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm vegan too. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> when did that come into play? Let's see, I'm about seven years in. I was going to say, um, you probably didn't grow up in a Puerto Rican household. As, as I did know. not grow up vegan, <laughs> but funnily enough, um, my sister is vegan. My mother oh, is vegan. My wow. husband is vegan. So yeah. actually like we have a completely separate but growing, you know, food buffet table at our Thanksgiving table. That's all vegan. Um, (laughs) but it, yeah, I didn't grow. I definitely didn't grow up plant-based, but it kind of little by little came about. I just remember standing in the deli line when I was a lawyer and being completely grossed out by some of the meat that was in the, like the tray. And I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to get that today. You know, then, then, then I started and I honestly started it, 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 my my initiation into veganism really came honestly from a selfish place. I wanted to perform better as an athlete. And I started reading about anti-inflammatory diets and how the body processes meat and dairy in your joints, in your bone, in your, in your muscles, in your tissue. And I kind of never looked back. Mm-hmm. And then I became, you know, friends with people like Rich Roll and really started immersing myself into that space. And I remember the first time I was on the Rich Roll podcast, I was still eating eggs. And he kind of looked at me like, it won't be long. You're you're gonna you're gonna go, you're gonna come over soon. And you know, and then then finally I gave up eggs and I, I really haven't looked back. I, I feel 
amazing. I recover incredibly fast for as much as mm. I work out. You know, I, I'm the day after a marathon, I'm hobbling a little bit, but the day after that, I'm good, you know? So it, and that for me, it's, it's, proof in the repetition, proof in what's working and that it works for me. You know, I, I don't feel the need to proselytize. I'm happy to answer questions. I, you know, I post about it freely on my social media accounts. I wrote about it in my book, but it isn't, I think most people will find their way to eating whole, clean plant-based foods, Mm -hmm. if not exclusively, at least intentionally. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad to, I'm, I'm glad to be a part of that conversation. Yeah. I love it. Thank you so much for being here. This yeah. is awesome. Thank um, you for having me. For anyone who wants to connect with you both through Peloton and elsewhere. And of course, by your book, uh, where can they do that? Robin Arzan. I am Robin NYC, R-O-B-I-N-N-Y-C on Instagram and RobinArzan.com is my website. And of course I am always on Peloton. You will always find me there. Holy moly. <laughs> we are proud, you know, sponsors of the Peloton tread and love it so much. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a really super fun. And I love that people can do it in. Yeah. They were, we the, work with them through the, yeah, the mm-hmm. you know, the safety and privacy of their own home, but also feel the community aspect. Yes, just, the tread is so, so nice. Ugh, I've been on the so tread. The tread nice. is fucking so nice. Yeah, it really is. It's like, awesome. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Bye, ladies. Y'all. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thanks so much to Robin for joining us. Again, it's at Robin NYC on Instagram and RobinRZone.com for more info. Yeah. And if you're in Miami, please come join us on the 12th. We're going to be with Nikki Novo talking about how to increase our connection to our intuition. Mm-hmm. It's going to be so powerful and it's going to be beautiful. Miami is my fave. Um, also, if you want to start, grow, or monetize a podcast, your podcast pro courses are coming out in January. We have every single thing you need to build a successful podcast business. We are here to support you. And last, our ambassador program. Mm. They're the best. So we have over a hundred ambassadors all over the world creating community where they are, everywhere from London to Singapore to Canada to Miami to Chicago, Chicago, Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's just so rad to connect with you all. Once a month, we hop on a video call, which is a blast. And, you know, we talk about things outside of the ambassador program, what's going on in life, just empowering you to be the leader that you are. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, our favorite thing about what we do. So if you are interested in starting a chapter near you, please email community at almost30podcast.com. There's more information on almost30podcast.com. And yeah, we love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And we will see you on the next one. See you on the next one. We love you. Bye.